Dying for Media. Just a little note to let you know that we will be talking about death in this series, and some names and information have been changed. Talking about death is never comfortable, but our goal is to make it less scary. So maybe give it a try and listen with care. I'm Nikki Boyer, and you may know me from the podcast Dying for Sex. A lot of people have listened to it and have told me that it changed their lives. And you know what? It changed my life too. And my hope is that this new series will change your life as well. Okay, let's reset. Dying for sex. So when my best friend was dying of stage four cancer, she left her marriage and decided to go on this wild sexual journey. And we decided to do, you know, what normal people do, make a podcast about it, record all of it and laugh and cry and do it all. And when the podcast was finally released, people really connected to it. Like it got millions of downloads and even won podcast of the year in 2021. It was crazy and mind-blowing and beautiful and deeply, deeply sad. And I am so grateful for all of it. So if you haven't listened, go listen. Uh, And if you have, thank you. Thank you so much and go listen again. (laughs) During her last four months in the hospital, Molly and I met someone truly amazing, Reverend Peggy. Oh, Reverend Peggy, who nurtured Molly down a path of making peace with her past, facing some of her biggest spiritual questions, and eventually taking control of her final moments. It's kind of hilarious if you think about it, because Peggy is a Christian chaplain and Molly was Jewish and not religious at all. So just so funny that she gravitated toward Reverend Peggy. I had heard so much about Reverend Peggy, but had yet to meet her. Now, movies and TV have basically told us exactly what a chaplain looks like, right? Like a super old, grumpy white dude who's cold, unfriendly, maybe scary. Might have seen him in a few horror movies. (laughs) It's just kind of not the face that you want to see before you die. But according to Molly, Reverend Peggy was more like the star of a hit medical TV show. So one day, I'm in Molly's hospital room, which sort of became like a second home for me at this time. There was one bed in the middle of the room, beige walls, no real decor. I think there was a clock and a whiteboard with some chicken scratch of doctors that you couldn't even read. And there was a really big window to the right of her bed, which was nice because she could see the sun during the days. She didn't even go outside anymore at this point. And there were some hanging curtains for privacy. So they were closed, and we were having a little moment in Molly's bed. And I was sitting with her. I think I had brought her lunch that day that she probably didn't eat and complained that there was not enough broth or too much broth in the soup. (laughs) So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, this woman walks in. She opens the curtain and I notice her. She's blonde with great hair, super cute blouse, cute pants, cute shoes, like super cute. And Molly goes, that's Peggy. And I'm like, what? That's Peggy? Like she is not what I expected at all. Even knowing what Molly had said about her, I was like, wow. So as soon as she walked into the room, I just, I mean, I noticed how pretty she was obviously, but then I thought the room felt different. It felt safe and open and peaceful. And not only for Molly, but I, I mean, I felt it for me as well. 
And that became my experience with Peggy day after day. She just, gosh, she made everything better and okay and less sad. And she was funny as shit. I mean, she just fit right in with the two of us. And so the three of us, we spent the next few months very connected. But we all knew what we were there for and why we met. And over the course of these next months, four months, or 16 weeks, 120 days, or however you want to quantify the end of Molly's life, Peggy was there with one focus to help Molly orchestrate her own beautiful death, the death she wanted, the death she deserved. Since then, over the past few years, Reverend Peggy, well, just Peggy or Peggers or Peggarelli, (laughs) has changed the way that I look at life and death and how we prepare for it, contextualize it, and treat people who are dying. We've had some mind-blowing and amazing conversations about spirituality, the supernatural, and death. And we talk about life too, right? Like we've had a bunch of martinis and lunches and we talked about boys and we've made some inappropriate jokes and we text about our good days and our bad ones. Peggy brings me comfort and she makes me laugh. And I am so happy to call Peggy my friend. And now I want her to be your friend too. Oh my God, Nikki, you're so dear. Wow, that's really sweet. How am I going to live up to that? It's like being at your funeral and hearing people know, talk my, about you. <laughs> my Irish wake this morning? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Hi. <laughs> Peggy, what are you doing Bungalow. We're recording. I know. It's so exciting. How do you feel about being here and doing this? Nervous a little. I've never known you to be nervous. I, I'm not usually. But <laughs> I think it's your little intro freaked me out. Wait, really? Going, Who's that? Where's she? Because I, I don't know that one. Well, it's all true, Pegs. No, oh, we've been through you. so much together. Yeah. It's kind of special. It was super special. Yeah. It was like, and it feels so long ago, but it really wasn't. No, I know. But to rem- like to really go in and think about it, it's like, wow. It was beautiful. I know. So much beauty in it, you know? So here we are in the bungalow, which is what I call this little recording studio, which is also my one room apartment in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is that I've been in your world, the hospital right, world, right? right? Months and months on end. And so Great now, you're in, now you're in my world with headphones yeah. and microphones and wires and cables. And this is your jam, girl. <laughs> you're so good at it. You're so sweet. <laughs> so you're nervous. But A little bit. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, just can I tell you something too? Yes. I me. kind of am too. Are you? Yeah. Oh, good. Because I think, um, what do they say when you stop being excited and nervous? That means you're dead. Oh, yeah. So I look at it like excitement and nervousness makes you feel Oddly alive. alive, right? It's good. We're super alive. <laughs> we're Holy alive buckets. and we're going to talk about death. <laughs> Buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> so you, I mean, you know this, you changed my life. You changed the way I look at things. You changed the way I look at death. You changed the way I have conversations. So I have to say that one thing I do remember when 
I got to know you when you were at work doing your job was that you made us feel in that room while my best friend was dying so special. Like we were the only people in the hospital. And I remember one time you left the room and I watched you and you shut the door and I went, oh my gosh, she doesn't belong to us. Like she belongs to everyone. And I was like, what? She's not just helping us. She's helping so many other people in so many other ways and many other floors of this hospital. And it was a real holy shit moment for me. Mm. And I think that in the back of my mind, while all that was going on, I thought, I have to know more about this woman in her life. <laughs> so it started a long time ago, Pegs. Tell me, okay, I think people have ideas of what they think mm-hmm. a chaplain does, mm-hmm. but explain a bit about like what your job is. Like, what do you, honestly, yeah. what do you do? Well, every day is different. I have no idea, really, until I get there, unless there's a patient I'm following really close and going to see for sure, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Or I'm speaking or teaching or doing, you know, something like that. But most of the time, I don't know until I get there. And then it's, I just get, I come in and I just get a list of referrals of who I'm supposed to see. They're all somebody that, a doctor, a social worker, Mm -hmm. themselves, a loved one, something that they're like, this person could use spiritual support and or Reiki, which I also do, <gasps> which helps calm people. So it's it's basically, I never just cold call anyone, right? I don't just show up and go, hi. <laughs> I'm the chaplain. How's it going? <laughs> no, I really don't. Um, unless pediatrics, I do kind of round on there and the NICU and stuff like that, but I get a list of people that I'm going to see and I kind of triage them within myself because like, I like, okay, if there's a kid, I might save them till a little later in the day or something like that. Okay. Um, and I want to plan so I can have my lunch. <laughs> see, this is the first <laughs> I got to have yeah. some food in there. Yep. Right. So I look at the computer and I look at, and I look at the chart a little bit sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. I just go, you know, it depends on how I feel that day. And so it can be... Um, a healthy baby blessing. Uh, it might be someone getting ready for a procedure or surgery that's panicking mm-hmm. and they're anxious. It might be someone who's waiting for a heart or a liver mm. or kidneys or lungs or, you know, any transplant, which is um, incredible. And that's really, you know, anxiety provoking. It's a lot of waiting and moving through days and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I get psych patients, right? I get people that are having hallucinations and delusions and all that kind of stuff. And that uh, that's often around God, right, right? Right. It's like Jesus is in the room or the devil's in the room, that mm. kind of stuff. So wow. there's a lot. It's very fascinating. And I have so much compassion because it's like, oh, man, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible, terrifying. Um, it can be any anything you can possibly think of. Maybe the ED, a trauma came in. Wait, what's ED mean? The emergency department. Oh, I, so, I thought erectile, we say ER. I thought erectile <laughs> oh, no. dysfunction. Oh, I was like, no, I, I, why did my I mind do not straight? get called for that. <laughs> I do not go to those. I literally, like, <laughs> why is that the first thing that came like, to my mind? No. <laughs> I'm not here for that. You're on your own. <laughs> Bye. I'm leaving. Uh, so just about, and then, and then there's a lot of staff support. 
Yeah. So I, I mean, it's I, your as job. I move, yeah. This as I go job. around, I sort of check in on staff, especially if there's been something really hard going on, if they're super challenging. Oh, patients. I see what you mean. Like you're checking on, on staff, the spiritual care of the nurses, the yeah. doctors. Oh my God. I never Big even time. thought of that part. Big time. Absolutely. Residents, interns, their first death, their big, you know. And then there's a lot of like family meetings and plan of care meetings about life support, going forward, what do people want, how do they, you know, I don't want this, I don't want to be innovated, I don't want to be resuscitated, all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's a lot of big, heavy conversations that are kind of like ethics kind of stuff. Right? Well, these, and that's interesting how many heavy conversations you have every day. Yeah. Things that people don't want to talk about. And I'm interested to know. And light ones too. You know, sometimes we do weddings in the hospital for people who are end of life and they want to get married before they die. Oh, so it's every have day. You ever had, have you ever done that? Married oh, yes. Someone? Oh, I've I can't wait to hear about that. Lots of weddings. Right before someone dies? Sure. <gasps> sure. Oh my God, that's so tragic and romantic. So sometimes those, those um, events in the chapel, you know, sometimes we've wheeled patients in on a bed and done the and ceremony their... in the chapel oh, for the gosh, wedding. Oh my gosh, or spiritual unions when they don't have a license yet. Stuff like, like, it's just creative. You just have to, it's all improv. You just meet them where they're at. You listen, mm-hmm. you stay super present, and then you let it go and you go in the next room. And you let it go and you go in the next room. It's so fun and rewarding. Uh, Fun's a weird word, but it's, it, it's, it, it is. It's exciting. What I think is kind of fascinating about death is that it is literally the only thing that we are for certain is going to happen to every single one of us. Like we're not dodging it, right? Right, But we shy away from talking about it. We don't want to have conversations about it. And you're near it every single day. Why do you think people don't want to talk about it? I think it's the unknown, Mm -hmm. the mystery. Everyone's terrified. We all, especially in this country... We're so like, we're mavericks and we're pioneers and we control this and we create this and we do that, right? And we have such a hard time needing people, relying on people. I'm totally guilty of that too. I'm like such a little soldier. You know, when I'm sick, I'm just like, don't talk to me anymore. And I just lock in. I think that we want more control and we just don't have it. We're not that powerful. We can't control these things that are beyond us. And it's surrender. Mm. You know, you're letting go and you're stepping over. And I think what scares people is the stepping over or what it's going to feel like to actually die because you can't know, right? <laughs> yeah. Like someone uh. doesn't come back and go, you know, at like 4.45, <laughs> you're going to feel a little bit of a rapid heartbeat. <laughs> no, I mean, you don't have nobody, like, yeah. nobody can do that in a way. We can be with people and we can hear their process, right? And we can watch it and we can be present for it and all of that. And sometimes the supernatural steps in and gives us things we need to know. Yes, this is that happens for sure. Well, I feel like the more that you and I talk about it and sort of peel the onion of it, it gives people permission to have those conversations with their friends or family members. Right. And maybe conversations with themselves. And I think the more we talk about it, I think it becomes a little less scary, don't you? Yes. And also permission to be afraid. It's okay. So when you say like you let it go, mm-hmm. where where does that go? Where does where do you put it? 
Where does that go? <laughs> it goes to God, to the some, the universe, What all the things that are way bigger than us, which are many, many things, right? I really release it. I do a little ritual where I come in and I Purell, all, right? You're constantly Purelling <laughs> right? in and out. What you mean literally? Literally, you're Purelling and uh-huh. washing your hands. And I do a little bit like, you know, be with me as I go in, use me, mm-hmm. use my everything, right? <laughs> so I'm present completely. I want to come in. I want to be safe place to fall. I want to be someone that they don't go, right? Yeah. You want to be someone that is safe and comfortable and present and you see them and you hear them. So I prepare myself a little bit, very quickly, and I go in and I stay with them and I help them process and I talk to them. Sometimes I just listen for a while and that's Mm -hmm. it. And I build the trust and stuff. And then when I leave, I let it, I say, okay, you stay in the room. Mm. They're yours now. You take care of them. I've done, you know, I kind of do this thing sometimes when I'm going into something that's really juicy, as we say, or really complex and, you know, that kind of thing. I was going to ask you what we meant by juicy. juicy It's complex. Maybe super complicated family dynamics Mm -hmm. and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And then I sort of do this whole thing like use me and then stay in the room when I leave. And I trust that. I completely trust that. Because otherwise I would be like, "Eh, I'd be insane. Right. I'd be like, I can't leave. You know what I mean? It's like that will life suck you and make you feel crazy. And there's only so much you can do. So it's, it's again, just like surrendering all the power. I just don't have that much power. Mm. You know, I mean, I've had patients say, touch me and heal me and stuff. And I'm like, oh, "Oh, honey, I wish I could just do that. But, you know, I, I go with whatever they're whatever they're believing and I respect it, but I have to leave all of that when I leave. And then do you PRL on your way out? <laughs> yeah, you do. You gotta. Because you don't know. Who knows what you just, what happened in there? Also like just a cleanse, like, we okay, that's off me. Water is always in lots of traditions, right? Of yeah, cleansing. It is. Yeah. yeah. And do you give yourself a minute or do you walk into the next? Because I always wondered when you left... Molly's room, yeah. were you going straight into the next room? Or do you give yourself a moment? Well, because I'm going all over the hospital and yeah. it's ginormous, um, it's often not the next one. You get a little Right, walk. so it's like I run down the stair and then I go over there and I get a little... Are you wearing comfortable shoes? Yes. Okay, good. Did you see my shoes? <laughs> no. Well, I did. Oh. I noticed they were little like ballet slippers. Is that right? Well, the ones I'm wearing now are like industrial, nasty, oh. comfortable looking... <laughs> The most ugly Are they the shoes. Dansko ones? Hookah, hookah. Oh, no. Somebody. I wore the Dansko. Oh, I have Danskos too. Those I have, were like, when I waited pair. tables. And I remember like, <laughs> I love that I'm comparing my waiting tables job to you as a chaplain. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. I wore this when I was waiting tables, you know, taking orders. <laughs> well, you are. You're going to each person yeah. and you're, you're bringing yourself to them. Yeah. You're giving them attention. You're listening, you know, and then you're going to the next one. And you can't carry everything to the next place or you'll lose your mind. I really love that Like as I am talking about this with you in real time, it feels less scary. It feels less good. weird. It feels oh, more good. comfortable. And I just, I hope that we can bring this to other people to give them just like, a, oh, okay. Like everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid. And yeah. then we talk about it and you can maybe become a little less afraid yeah. of the conversations of the moment in the hospital with your mom or your grandma or your brother or whoever it is. Like, yeah. That's just powerful. And I do think talking about the uncomfortable things makes it a little more comfortable. And I talk to patients about this a lot. 
where they're like, you know, I come in and I'm, how's your spirit? I'm great. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. How are you doing that? And they start talking about, you know, they pray, they do this, all this stuff. And some will have like the whole setup, you know, like crystals and, you know, the light, the lava lamp. I mean, the whole, I'm like, whoa, (laughs) this is groovy. (laughs) And then they're, they'll all of a sudden start revealing, like, they're terrified. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I thought, okay, here we go. And then we can start talking about, and I said, you know what? Make a date with it. Make a date with the fear and say, Mm. okay, you can even, I mean, this sounds so crazy, but in our world today of overscheduling and stuff, especially some of these super powerful, really successful people of note, you know, that are just like running the world, these billionaire guys, um, some of them are just sitting there like they can't let go. That they can't let go of the fact that things are deteriorating and they're not going to be able to control everything. Right. So I say, take your iPhone and say, at 2 o'clock from 2 to 2.10, I'm going to make a date with the, the hard stuff and I'm going to think about it. What if, what does that mean? I might be dying. I'll, you know, let yourself just go in. For that 10-minute sliver. Let yourself go in. And then, kind of like the Purell, right? <laughs> kind of right. like leaving the... Then you say, okay, I can come out now and get back into the moment. But if you don't give that time attention, right. it's like a little kid. Right. It's like a two-year-old. Ding, 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 you know, and they're gonna they're gonna poke at you. It's like it's like the 3 a.m. wake up. It's like all the things that poke at us. We have to give it attention for a while, or it's just gonna get bigger, you know? So let yourself just freak the hell out for a while. Okay. It's okay. Right. You don't have to keep it all together. Yeah. And you you know, people have gratitude journals and all this stuff. It's like, why don't you have like a crappy journal? Like, it's like, (laughs) this super sucks. (laughs) Right. I'm 35 and I got prostate cancer. This sucks. Write it out, be in it and like, you know, have these these elements to the self and it's okay because how do you have self-compassion if you can't even acknowledge Mm. there's something to have compassion for? I think the one takeaway that we already have is that mm-hmm. everyone dies. Everyone dies. Nikki. So let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Even you, my gorgeous, young, beautiful friend. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> Sorry, <honey. laughs> I feel really deeply connected to Molly, mm, to you, yeah. to my dad, because yeah. I had these beautiful, dark, messy moments around death. And what a privilege. What a privilege. What a privilege. Right? That's what people should understand. And if we can explain that and make one less person afraid of dying, yeah, we've done something good here. So I right? say, let's do. So that's what we're going to do, me yeah. and you, Peggy. Okay. We are going to have the uncomfortable, beautiful conversations. There it is. About death. The terror and the beauty. Yeah. There's always beauty and terror, so we'll find it. So let's talk about death. Let's do. Right after this commercial break. <laughs> So I know that this series is about you, Peggy, and all your thousands of amazing stories from your career in spiritual care. And we're going to get to those, I promise, um, because they're such good stories and they're so helpful. And some of them are just mind-blowing. And funny. And funny. And weird. (laughs) Scary. All of those things. (laughs) But I really kind of want to start by sharing one of my own stories. Oh, do. I want you to. Yes, please. So I want to talk about the wild story of the night that Molly passed away. Mm. 
Tell me. Okay. Okay. So we established that I had been at the hospital for many, many months yeah. helping care for her. You were and there all the time. I was, and I mm-hmm. wanted to be. It was mm-hmm. it, it was hard to balance that out with my life a little bit, yep. try to figure out how to be a person and how to be a best friend to someone who's passing. Yeah. Um, which is a whole other episode, right? Yeah. But her mom was there. Her mom was there and stepped up and was there morning, noon, and night and stayed with her. And was she was her primary caregiver, but... I feel like I kind of was too. Um, I brought food. I would sit with her. I'd give her manicures, helped her bathe. We would laugh. We would. I, we just spent a lot of really beautiful quality time together at the hospital. So after many, many months and then days in a row, right, of coming to the hospital and the parking, by the way, <laughs> first of all, I think I paid rent at the hospital, paying for the parking every day and finding parking in LA. It's just a mess, I right? Know, it's so it hard. just took a lot to get there. But once I was there, I was so present and so happy mm. to be there. But to be honest, at this point, toward the end, I was drained. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Because it's personal. It's oh. not, you know what I mean? To me, this is work. Right. But you had this intense connection. Right. And that's, it's very different. Mm. And it can be very taxing on you yeah. physically yeah. and spiritually because exactly. you're actively grieving, but you're also being present. So I took a night to go just be a person. And actually, my husband Good. Um, was playing music at this bar. And I thought, I'm going to go and have some cocktails. I'm going to listen to Good. some music. So, you know, the band is setting up and they're doing sound check and everyone's having cocktails and the room is buzzing and I'm sitting at this at this high top table and this total stranger, this man I had never seen before, comes up to me. And he's pretty handsome, brown hair, brown eyes, very striking, and his name is Robert. He says, "Hi, I'm Robert." And I say, yeah, "Well, hi." That's exotic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <That's very> exotic. <laughs> okay. And he says, "I'm a psychic." And now I know people out there are going to roll their eyes, but I love this shit, right? I do too. I do too. Right? Okay. Ooh, this is going to be good. (laughs) He stands there and he says to me, I heard you had a friend that was dying. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, "Um, she's here with me right now. Oh my God, Nikki. I said, okay. And he puts his hand up right next to his face. And he says, she's right here. She's next to me. She's wanting me to give you a message. He says to me, and I'm in. Like, I'm in. I'm not rolling my eyes. None of this is bullshit. I'm in. Because he's showing me where her face is. And he is telling me this. And I. it is landing. He said, she's not gone yet. I was like, okay. But she is here now. And she's talking to me very clearly. And she wants me to tell you something very important. I said, okay. He said, she wants you to stay over. Oh my God. Stay over. Stay over. And he's repeating it. And he said, she's repeating it. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, okay. So I'm tuned into the medium stuff, right? I get it. And I love psychics, but sometimes what they're saying doesn't fully make sense. And so I, I was like, okay, thank you. And he just said, have a good night. He grabbed my hand and walked away. And that was the last I saw of him that night. Okay. So I go home. First thing I do in the morning is I wake up, I check in. Molly is still with us. I say, great, I'm coming to the hospital. I text her mom. I go to the hospital. And at this point, she is 
fully sedated, right? Mm. The family is around her mom and her dad and her cousins and friends are all sort of sitting around her bed and we're sharing stories mm. and laughing. And, you know, we know she can't, can't really participate, but we feel like she's hearing us. And it was the first time the room had felt like that. And we stayed for a really long time for like mm-hmm. four or five hours, just all being together. And I do... Re- There's a hummingbird at the window. Are you serious? No, while you were Shut talking, up. it kept coming in the window. I was just going to let it go, but it came back. So I had to say something. That's so That's cool. That's so cool. Oh my God, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I see you, Molly. I see you. And at this time, everybody starts to kind of uh, wrap up, right? Mm-hmm. And say goodbye. And I remember you came in. And I believe that Molly's mom asked you for a prayer. I'm going to pray for you, Molly. The way we do, the way you like. Okay. And we ask for your blessings today on our dear Molly. She is so loved. She will be safe. We ask for light, peace, compassion, grace, and all things good as she steps into the next place because we know we are heard. Amen. Oh. So beautiful. Mm. Well, when a when a patient is um, specifically not like a certain religion or something, I like to listen to what they, how they identify spirit. However, the patient has explained to you and what they need, and what they believe, and what they want, and you know, it's it's um, it's like kind of covering them in that. Mm that blessing before, and it, and it can often help people. Right. Right? Because they're like, oh, okay. Right. You know, especially if everyone sort of said it's okay, you can mm-hmm. go. You know, and so then you're calling out to that, which is bigger. So now they're moving towards that, which is bigger. Ooh. Oh, so beautiful. So at this point, I picked up my purse and I said goodbye to everybody and I just sort of went to leave for the night. I didn't, I don't think I really knew what to do. So I went to leave. I walked out and her mom sort of chased me out the door and she said, Nikki, hold on, hold on. Will you stay over tonight? And I was like, what? (laughs) Oh my God. I done heard this earlier. (laughs) Like Robert was in my head, stay over, stay over. I'm like, oh, this is that. Like, that's this, stay over. so cool. Stay over. And I was like, then I knew exactly what to do. So as I was walking to leave the hospital, I saw you, Peggy, down the hallway. And I was like, oh gosh, thank God, there's Peggy. I remember that. I went back to my office and wrote, just in my little journal, some things that I remember about that night. So a note from 3-7. So I, I saw you that the night. Um, chaplain visited patient upon referral. Patient's mom and best friend, Nikki, in room. All very supportive and loving with patient. We prayed for angels and the universe to bring her home to all that she longs for to be in heaven and that she knows how loved and safe she is. I had a private conversation with Nikki in the hall for more support. I remember feeling this and also then telling you that mm. it was you were the only person I could tell this to, but I knew that she was going to die that mm. night. And mm-hmm. I remember telling you that I felt Molly's spirit 
hovering over her body. It was she wasn't in her body anymore. Right, right. Nikki feels that the patient will die tonight and is planning on staying here. She feels patient spirit is hovering and not in her body anymore. That's my note from the seventh. So you knew, girl. Wow. You knew. It's really nice to have this con- like this conversation is really like it brings me back there and just it's really so grateful. <laughs> so I left. And I went home. No, I'm crying. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I left and I went home to take a little moment, right? To shower, to eat. Like just take care of myself. To be a person. And I think I was, half of me was like on autopilot and the Uh other half of me knew that I, what I was about to endure. So daunting, almost out of body a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I took a shower. No, I took a bath. I took a bath and I ate some food and I put my robe on. And I remember thinking, like, I should hurry and get dressed and get back. And then I was like, oh, or I could just sit on the couch for a little bit. Yeah. And you know when you Good. turn on the TV and you do that random, like, scrolling through, like, <laughs> what's live? Yeah. And then Baby Boom was on. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm watching that. I watched the whole fucking movie. <laughs> oh, no. Do you remember that movie? Diane Keaton. Yes. She's so cute. She's amazing. I love her. Nothing to do with death. No, gosh. Right? A baby. Yeah. She she yeah. ends up getting like, I don't know, having to take care of yeah. this baby. She makes she's fabulous baby food. and she's, successful yeah. and whatever. Yeah. And she makes cool. this really delicious baby food that everybody wants. And it's one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> Country baby homemade in Cleveland? I don't think so. <laughs> anyway. So I packed a little like overnight bag and uh-huh. um I, you know, I just told Tommy I loved him and I would <laughs> Be back soon. I don't. I, I didn't really know, but I I was heading back to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Same drive I had done so many days. You know what, Peggy? Oh my what? god! I'm just thinking of this right now. Tell me. Oh, I forgot about this. Oh, Nick. I remember parking, which normally made me so mad because I was like, "This is so expensive." <laughs> <laughs> and I remember. There was a lot of parking because it was later in the evening. Right. And I remember thinking, this is probably the last time I'll park here. Wow. I yeah. forgot. Mm. It's so weird how like something irritating that's part of the, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yes. part of the, when you're, when you're caring for someone, you're going through this process, something irritating like that becomes this incredible sentimental thing in the moment when it's the last. Totally. Right? A hundred percent. Like you've 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 cared for someone, you've done all this really hard caretaking yeah. and all these things we do, and then you're like, oh, this is kind of taxing on me. And then in the last time you do it, it's like, no. Right. I want to do this for a long time, you know. I would it's give really anything interesting. to spend yeah. $25 on parking <laughs> so that I could just have a few more minutes yep. with her. Oh, yep. you're so right. That's yeah. true about a lot of things in life. With uh, it makes you so present, though. Yeah, that moment because like it sounds like every little thing that was happening, you were super aware of it. Yeah. Uh, so I walked in. It was just me and her mom. Um, we just kind of sat and 
we were quiet, really, the two of us together. Mm. And then it got pretty late in the evening. It was such a different room. Like it was so buzzing with people previously and laughing and sharing stories. And now it was just Mm. her mom pulling out her cot to lay down, quiet, just sort of this buzzing of the machines, Mm. not the people that were laughing and telling stories, which I thought was the floor was quiet. The hospital's really different at night. Yeah, it is, totally. Oh. So her mom falls asleep on the cot with her arm draped around Molly's Mm. waist, right? Like just right there with her. I kind of didn't know what to do or where to go be, right? right? But there was this recliner. I call it a lazy boy, but it wasn't that fancy. And it weighed about 700 pounds. It was heavy as fuck. So I remember it's in it's in the corner of the room and I'm like, why would we need to move this closer to the bed? And I'm moving it and it's going, and I'm like, oh God, I'm going to wake up everybody. I'm trying not to wake up her mom. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I don't want to make up Molly. Oh my gosh, it's going to be yeah. quiet. So I finally situate the recliner and it's next to her bed, but facing her so I can see her. And um, she was sedated still breathing. Um, At this point, I've turned off all the lights and the only lights in the room were the screens. Mm. And I put the recliner back so I can sort of lay back and I put my left hand on her leg Mm. just to hold her and feel her, you know? Yeah. And then I leaned back and I remember closing my eyes and I was out. You were so I'm, tired. I mean, so you're, tired. Yeah, I was exhausted. Yeah. I fell asleep hard and my hand was still on her leg and I just, I was asleep. And the next thing I know, I feel on the same hand that is on her leg, mm. fingers tapping underneath my fingers, tap, 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 hard. And Whoa. it wakes me up. And I look over to where my hand is and nothing is there. Wow. And I thought, oh my gosh. I look around the room. Like I thought for sure a nurse was tapping my yeah. fingers. Yeah. Her mom is still asleep. I'm awake. I I can't really see because I was asleep and the room is dark. And uh-huh. I look at Molly and I'm staring at her from my chair. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's still, she's still breathing. Okay, she's still breathing. And then I stand up. And I go toward her and I put my hand on her forehead and my other hand right on her heart. And her mom's hand is still draped over her while she's sleeping. And I say, I got you. I'm right here. It's okay. Oh, Nikki. And she took a breath. (sighs) And I waited for what felt like an eternity. Uh And she took another breath. And she was gone. Wow. Like, she was just gone. But I was relieved because she wasn't in pain anymore, right? Yeah. And so at this time, her mom is awake and we're calling her dad and her cousin to come back from the hotel. And there's that after death, like, sort of like, did this just really happen? Right, right. Right. But then the weirdest thing, Peggy, this is so weird because that's when it hit me that all this supernatural stuff, like, it 
it was all Molly pushing me toward this moment. Mm-hmm. Like her mm-hmm. telling Robert to come and talk to me at the bar that night. Her mom saying those exact words, stay over. And then mm-hmm. meeting you in the hallway and you encouraging me to stay. And then the tapping of the fingers to wake me up because I would have slept through right, her passing. Right. Like, she woke me up and that was all leading me to that moment of her death, to her last breath. <laughs> it's beautiful. What a gift she gave you, though. I mean, what a loving friend. Right? And she wanted you. She wanted her best friend to be touching her heart. And, you know, she wanted the witness and that she wanted that incredible sacred space to be you. Yeah. Right? So I think it's just a testimony to her love and, again, doing it the way she wanted. Exactly what she wanted. Like, to the T. <laughs> oh, I love That's her. That's cool. It's That's so, so cool. cool. And I think the reason that this story means so much to me is I just hope that people open themselves up to yeah. those moments because yeah. they suck and they are hard and they hurt and they're scary, but like, I but will never... So yes. beautiful. And the, isn't that the the most amazing thing about being a human being? Yes. As how deeply the world can suck and then how incredibly beautiful experiences yes. can be. And you can hold both of those things. The same time. The same time. Oh. And what love that. That's love. That's incredible. What a privilege. I can't believe this was four years ago. A long time. Yes. I just, yet it feels like yesterday. Yeah. At the same time. But at the risk of, of sounding too soon, can I tell you what? Some funny shit that happened. <laughs> like, really. Okay, funny. tell me. Okay. So, I don't know if this is going to sound so morbid. Okay. After she died, uh-huh. I was actually in the room with her for the next, I think it was four hours. Yeah. Four hours is the max that you can have with that. Why? I mean, I'm not a medical person. Okay. I'm not a scientist. Uh But I I know there's like a rule. I think it's like a state law or something. I'm not quite sure. But bodies change. They change pretty quickly after death. You know, if you think, well, if you think about like, so the brain stopped working. The brain is like the mastermind telling, okay, blood move, do this, you know, do all right. this stuff. Also, it's done. Things kind of sit and they, the body immediately starts kind of changing. Mm. And so we need to get them to the morgue. Molly, oh my gosh, you're going to die when you hear this. Molly made me promise <laughs> multiple times that I would not let her die with her mouth open and her sort of like arms up, like T-Rex arms <laughs> oh, out. God. I was like, first of all, I don't Jeez. think anybody dies with their arms up like that. But she'd be like, don't let me die like this. And she'd do it with like the corpse oh, mouth. Gosh. She's like, I do not want to have corpse mouth. Oh my gosh. And sometimes, Peggy, when I would walk into the hospital room when she was still alive, like to bring in her lunch, she'd uh-huh. do the T-Rex arms and the corpse mouth and just lay there and go, oh. And I was like, Molly, you're, so oh, you're not dead. She was just so fucking funny. Oh. So I kept trying to... Close her mm, mouth for her. Yeah. Because um, her mouth was open. Right. But she looked so beautiful. It didn't matter. But I knew. She's like, you have to make sure I don't have any chin hairs. So I made sure I plucked her chin hairs like days before. And Put you that can, in your vest directives, right? by the way. <laughs> right? I'm not even kidding. <laughs> 
do it. Really? Yes. All that stuff can go. Oh God, I have like, make sure my mouth is clean because I'm like a teeth freak and like fresh breath person. So advanced directives are, they exist and you can write shit down and tell people what to do. Yes. Where do you, how, where do you put this? You could, there's this thing called five wishes, which is my favorite one. Okay. Because it has more real life things in it. It's like like extreme measures you want taken to keep you alive, okay. right? So no, life support, I don't want to be intubated. I don't want ECMO. I don't want, all, you know, you can put all that stuff in there, but it also has like, what do you want your friends to remember you? Mm. How do you want your loved ones to remember you? Is there a song you like played? Is there, you know, stuff like that. Well, and in there you takes- can say like, don't let me have chin hair. Right. <laughs> Brush my teeth or whatever. Right. And I'm like that. I'm like, man, don't let me, you know, I want to be a little pretty corpse. Well. If possible. Put that in your advanced directive. So, yeah. And where do you put this advanced directive so that people know where it is so they can find it? You have the um, hospital or your doctor, your primary care, scan it into your chart. Wow. So when a healthcare professional goes in, advanced directives, yes. And then they can go to that tab and see what you want, right? And then make a copy and give it to your, you know, give it, my boss has one, my brother has one. Okay. My friend. Like have, have people in your life have it. Okay, but who does those things that are in your advanced directive? Like how Well, do you- it would be whoever you, like your DPOA or What's your- DPOA stand for? Um, designated power of attorney. Oh, okay. That's or right. somebody that you know that, you know, those kind of more personal things. Yeah. And also, like, if you have these kinds of conversations with your loved ones, it eliminates a tiny little bit of the fear because you've you've got something to do. You can be of yes. service. So then, then there's not this like wandering around the hallways and panicking. It's like, no, I have a job. She Everybody a job. needs a job, it's, and they feel like you're doing something. Then, right? Yes. Especially kiddos. It's like let them be a part of the care. You're part of the compassionate care, the comfort. So let them do that. So telling people, writing that out, put a little addendum, write it out on a little piece of paper and have it there. And well, as you're saying this- can go in your phone though, put it in your that's, phone. That's really smart. And having yes. friends and family have a copy of it. I know you don't want to look at this. It's in your email. It's there when the time comes. Yeah, you don't it have to read it now. It takes all the guesswork out. Exactly. You don't have to read it now. But as you're saying this to me, I'm realizing that I still had things, ugh, things to do for her. After yeah. she died, because I Tell knew me. that I was still caring for her, because yeah. she told me what she needed, because we had the uncomfortable conversations, and they were really funny. Thank God, yeah. So, so back to to the corpse mouth, like <laughs> she's sitting know, there right? with her mouth open. She's gone. She looked beautiful. She's peaceful. I don't feel her in the room, but her mouth is open, and and the, the room was um the room was kind of buzzing with grief, you know, and yeah. I was so just focused. On my last gesture of love, which Aww. is closing her mouth, closing her mouth. And finally, Peggy, about three and a half hours later, um, I pushed her mouth and it stayed it's close yeah. because yeah. the the rigor mortis was setting in. So I said, there you go, girl. Oh. <laughs> and I said, now you now, now you're how you want it to be. And, yeah. And it just, it was my final gesture of love. And it, I still felt because we had had those difficult conversations about death. I still, even though she was gone, I still felt yes. very connected to her. Yes. Oh. And then That's beautiful. Like, this guy comes wheeling down the hall, <laughs> with a, and then they God zip, love them. They zipped her up into a giant yeah. black body bag, yeah. and I said, "Molly, well, you stayed to the bitter end, I didn't did. you, honey?" <laughs> no, I didn't know that that happened. 
Yeah. So they come in, they're gentle and gracious yeah, and loving. Yeah, so gracious. But when that body bag zipped up, I had a, yeah. like a, a big <gasps> yeah, moment. The finality. And then I started laughing because I was to myself thinking, she would be laughing <laughs> at me watching this happen and be like, well, it's done now. Ain't no coming back. <laughs> I was picturing her being a part of this moment. <laughs> I was kind of buzzing after she for passed. Sure, for and sure. I was in awe of her. I was like, look what you yeah. did. And all cool. these conversations we had actually panned out. And death isn't always pretty like this, no, right? No. But at least I had some information to arm me yes. for those moments. And um, she got exactly what she wanted. Aww. And I was just her powerful supernatural thing that she gave to me to this day is the most amazing thing I've ever yeah. experienced. What a gift. In my life. But the key is to experience that. You you were open to it. You're brave. You were welcoming of it. And you didn't shut it off. Someone else, someone might have, you know, maybe someone tickled their fingers or touched their finger and they'd go, oh, that's weird. And that's it. You know what I mean? So you were open. And when you're open to this stuff, then you get those incredible right. gifts and moments because you could have moved through that whole experience without having any of it. Yeah. So what is your advice to people that might have a little part of them that says, I think maybe, or should I, or listen, listen to it. I call it the holy belly because I listen to that, trust it, right. And move into it and try to open yourself up and welcome in. And it's that, it's kind of like being brave, right. Isn't like courage is like knowing something scary, but you move into it anyway. Mm -hmm. People think, Oh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not religious. I don't, you know, I believe in nothing wrong. It's like, that's okay. But open yourself up to this mystery. Yeah. Yes. Everyone knows mysteries in the world. Right. So allow that to happen and move into it a little bit. Yeah. And just listen, listen and, listen. and ask yourself why you're feeling certain things. And, you know, have that child life thing a little bit or yeah. childlike thing mm-hmm. a little bit more than, you know, don't be so grown up about it. <laughs> That's great advice. Listen, don't be so grown up about it. <laughs> and the holy belly. The holy belly. That's <sighs> what I call it. I love this. Especially working with kids because they get it because they're just holy belly. You know, they're just, their belly is so on and open and everything. So let it, let yourself be in it. Get out of your way, mm. you know. And if it's scary and creepy, okay. What's it going to do? Kill you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. Is that a bad way to go? I don't know. Probably not. (laughs) And in a way, I feel like Molly really wanted us to be friends. Mm. And look at us. Look at us. Look what we're doing. (laughs) We're not only friends. We're doubling now. We're doing a podcast. She's probably mad. So awesome. She's probably like, this is going too far. Like, this really, should, like, I wanted you to be friends, but we were doing a podcast. You don't do podcasts with her. No, she's loving this. But I do want to ask you like, there is a tiny part of me that's like, am I weird? Like, mm. do these things happen? Am I crazy town? Maybe some things are weird, but it's a good weird, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's so important to talk about this stuff because people have these experiences. And then they're terrified. But it's it's such a privilege to let yourself experience that. Let yourself go in. You know, mm-hmm. I've had these all my life. 
ever since I was just a little kid. Really? I've constantly had this stuff. And I just thought, this is how everybody is. Talk about weird. I thought everybody just had these supernatural experiences their whole life. So really? to and me, you weren't afraid. Mm-mm. Wow. I thought it was cool. <laughs> of course you did. I'd be like terrified and under my bed and crying and you were like, hey. <laughs> I thought it was cool. I thought it was like a little gift or a blessing. You're such a badass. <laughs> not a Even badass. as a kid, you were a badass. Weirdo. I, if anyone's a weirdo, I'm the weirdo. Oh my God. Well, I collect weirdos. So thanks for joining. <laughs> So we have an episode every week. So we have mm. an entire season of this. Awesome. I cannot wait to hear. Can I? Can we save that story? Yes. Your supernatural yes, story yes, yes. for episode two. Let's do. It. <gasps> oh, funny. Look at you. So I have to say, is. like talking about it is so freeing. Yeah. But it is a little bit exhausting. Like it does take it out of you to be this present, to be this in tune, to have these hard conversations. So it does. Um, I. How do you do? How do you do this every day, every single day? I think it's important to, uh, you know, give yourself rituals and space to recover. I take the stairs, so I get. <laughs> well, that's a good one. It's <laughs> cute. Stairs, so I get a little exercise in, mm-hmm. you know, and I do the Purell thing, sort mm-hmm. of leave it. I really, I totally hand it over to God, and often on my drive home because I, you know, I'm in LA and I live. Two miles away, it takes an hour. Right. So, <laughs> you know how it is. Exactly. So I, um, I, you know, I'll t- sort of pray and talk it out and, mm-hmm. and lift up the name of the patient, you know, and oh. as I'm like, the further I'm getting from the hospital, the more I'm leaving it because my home is my sanctuary, right? Yeah. My home is my safe space. There's no one dying in my house. Right. Um, I hope. <laughs> and so, oh, Jesus. And then... At the end of my day at the hospital, I actually have an idea in my head that who's going to be my martini patient, which is my last patient of the day. Wait, is that from the, the movie term? That, yeah. Are you gonna, no way. Yeah. 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 I love that. Like the, the last <laughs> shot in a movie is the martini yeah. shot. Wait, you, all my friends are like Hollywood people. None of them are like <laughs> clergy or anything. They're all Hollywood people. So, <laughs> so yeah, the, the last shot of the day, the last patient is my martini patient. And we talk about it like totally in the office. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's fun. Like, oh, that one's going to be my martini. Like a baby blessing, a big, fat, healthy, wonderful baby. Right. Just wants a blessing, which is a blast, right? What a great martini patient. Okay. Right? And so then I get home, you know, and uh, I come in and I make a, just a little martini. Oh, you so, have an actual martini? Sure. Could, yeah. Oh, Reverend yeah. Peggy. Come on. <laughs> Well, I was a Catholic kid. Come on. So you, of course, you, know, you have to there's, drink. There's, there's, there's always right wine. Wine it's everywhere. The, the bazaar. Raise money for the church by beer. You know that kind of stuff. I was you a Catholic know, kid. You were a Catholic. Are kid you too. kidding me? There's booze everywhere. Yes. In the Catholic hospital, my grandpa was in. Yeah. In Minnesota, would get a beer on his lunch tray. I'm like, God love you guys. Right. God love you. It's really like good. he loved his beer. But yeah, so I have yeah, a martini, martini. patient, oh. and then I have a little. Gin. Oh. Because that is the true martini. So when you were in the hospital and you were working with Molly, mm-hmm. it was pretty late in the day. It was. Was she your martini patient? Yes. <gasps> that was your, oh my god. She gosh. was my martini oh. patient. Yeah. Oh. 
So I think, um, I think at the end of each show, because we work through some stuff, we're yeah. talking about yeah. some uncomfortable yeah. shit. Yeah. I think we should have a gin martini at the end of oh, every God, show. Oh God, let's do. Would love it. No, we're doing it right now. Okay, let's do it right now. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> so when you're driving home and you're um, giving it to God, is there a little part of you that's like, martini is yes, coming up? Of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um, Did you put a lot of ice in? Um, why do I feel like such a virgin right now? I've never made a gin martini. What do you do? You just put ice in the shaker. You put a lot of ice. Okay, good. How much? Tell me when to stop. Oh my God. Is that too much? That's a that's, lot, isn't that's it? That's good. That's after a For long us. day. <laughs> is just a gin martini is just gin? Yeah. Sometimes people put like a splash of vermouth, but I don't like vermouth. Okay. So when you say extra dry, it's just gin. Oh. How many times do you <laughs> shake it? Till it's really cold. I never thought, honestly, <laughs> that a chaplain would show me how to have game <laughs> with a martini. <laughs> This is hard work. It's a good Peggy. workout for your it's good for the biceps. <laughs> Truly, right? Okay. okay. Ooh, it's cold. Okay, that's okay. good. All right, so I did. Now you want to hold twist. the lid. Hold okay. the lid so it doesn't oh. fall off on you. <laughs> this feels earned. Yes. Can I can I cheers to you? Cheers to because you. Because honestly, you've changed my life and oh, I'm so Nikki. grateful to you. And I can't wait to drink martinis with you for the next however long God lets us. <laughs> God's in the gin, hon. This is a really good one. This is a really good show. Are you drunk already? I think you might be drunk. <laughs> one sip. All right, cheers to life and yes. cheers to talking about death. Yes. Mwah. So you can live better. Right? Cheers. cheers, honey. And cheers to Molly. Cheers. Mwah. We super appreciate you listening today. We really do. And if you have a story or you want to share your thoughts, shoot me a DM at Nikki Boyer on Instagram. And if you like our show, give us a rating and a review. It helps people find our show. And follow us wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, Near Death has bonus content. Yes, we do, where we get a little more personal at our martini after party. It's so much fun. So for that bonus content, subscribe to Lemonada Premium in Apple Podcasts. In addition to all of the content that you'll get from our show, you can also unlock an array of bonus content from all the other Lemonada shows. Check out the free trial of Lemonada Premium today in the Apple Podcast app by clicking on the little lemon logo in the middle of the screen. It's so worth it. Near Death is a Dying for Media production. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Episode two is available right now, so go listen. The show is hosted by Reverend Peggy and me, Nikki Boyer. Special thanks to Molly Cochin. Producer is Katie Amanda Keen. Tommy Fields is head of audio for Dying for Media. Nikki Boyer and Kevin Sabi are executive producers for Dying for Media. Executive producer is Reverend Peggy. Ad sales and distribution by Lemonada Media. Thanks again so much for going there with us today, and we will see you next time. <laughs>